determined to practice till midnight. Observe that as a it's the, the perception of the observance night. You're taking that perception different, isn't it, than an ordinary night. And say, sitting till midnight, there's this idea of making a resolution. It can be um, a kind of willful act, I'm going to do it, an act of will coming from the ego, or, a, or, a, or a, it can be a an aditana, some kind of determination you're making as a guide for reflection. What's the difference between a willful act, I've got to do this, and there is this determination, this aditana. Aditana is the Pali word for resolution one of the Baramitas, one of the ten perfections. But Aditana isn't using willpower, is it? It is a kind of, from an ego, from ignorance and ego, just, uh, I'm going to do this, I have to do this. <coughs> when you resolve something, when you make a resolution, then you're, you're setting that into your mind as, something to look toward, to remind yourself of, of what you're doing, of what, you, what you've resolved to do. And then you can observe any willful, egotistical tendencies, like, I've, I have to do this, I've got to prove that I can do it, or I must do this, because everyone else will be doing it, or, or maybe you're thinking, oh, you know, I'm not feeling very well, and and uh, I need my rest, and I don't uh, see that it helps me very much. Just get, feel tired the next day. You can have whatever tendency you tend to, whatever direction you tend to wobble. Notice that. Now this helps us to get a perspective on our. Uh, self-views, our egotistical tendencies. We're not using these, uh, these, these conventions to become more, to, to kind of uh, increase our egotism and conceit and pride. So therefore the, the uh, idea of, a, of, a, of a sitting till midnight isn't is it an act, if it's just an act of will, then it is torture. Even if you succeed and you kind of succeed at sitting till midnight without moving or whatever, you might have a measure of success through willpower, but it's still, uh, you've missed the point. You've not really, haven't developed a path at all. You've really maybe achieved some kind of personal goal which is without seeing what you're doing or what, 
what actually is going on, what your motivations are. So this evening really developed this sense of witnessing, observing. The Buddha contemplating Dhamma. Buddha seeing the Dhamma, Buddha knowing the truth of the way it is. There's the the breath of the body, the sound of silence, the non-ticking of the clock. <coughs> Notice the non-ticking of the clock. Driving me crazy. <laughs> Try to observe any any feeling that you have to do something. That I've got to do something this evening. If you can be aware of that as a as a uh, impulse or a feeling that, or an attitude. I used to, years ago in Wat Pong, I used to practice not having to do anything. Just used to sit there and practice, don't have to do anything. There's a kind of counterbalance, balancing act to the other kind of tendency of, uh, have, I've got a lot to do. Now, in this retreat, all you have to do is mainly just the practice, the reflection, developing uh, concentration, reflecting on Dhamma, the, the uh, things that happen, say, according to the things that happen during this retreat, we just take as part of the retreat. We use it, we, we observe, say, in start with the behavior of other people or our own irritation, frustration, our own doubt and uh, despair. All this is part of the retreat, part of our practice to, to see the Dhamma of it rather than to believe in it. Regards to the Gulf War, and this 
so how this uh, the curiosity the interest or the feeling of uh, anxiety it might bring or despair kind of sadness that comes to the mind when you think of um, this uh, kind of violence and slaughter takes place. What is it in us that feels sad over things like that when we're sitting here quite uh, out of touch with it, aren't we? We're sitting here, nice place, meditation retreat, lovely food offered every day. Weather's been quite all right. And um, all these lovely Devada lay people come here. These lovely young ladies and noble men that come to take care of us. Preparing delicious food for for our aesthetic life. <laughs> an eighteen hundred calorie diet is becoming an eighteen hundred calorie banquet. reflect on the, just the moral integrity of this, a high level of moral commitment. Uh, you know, the lay people are on the eight precepts. They're keeping uh, celibacy and not seeking uh, to go to shows, entertainments, games, uh, distracting uh, entertainments, so forth. They, the high level of moral commitment and, and renunciation during this two months. So that we find ourselves in a situation quite special, quite lovely in its own way, over in the salon, the workmen are busy kind of renovating and refurbishing so that on the 28th of February, it'll be all finished to have a Magha Puja day in, in a uh, refurbished uh, sala. Grotty old carpet's been taken out. Ceiling's been plastered. And yet over in uh, Saudi Arabia and Kuwait, Iraq and Israel and Turkey and all these, you know, thousands of troops are from France and Britain and Italy and United States, Canada and then the Saudis and the and the Kuwaitis all every day having to go over and bomb and 
destroy places. The, the sense of fear and violence pervades, and yet it, we only hear about it in kind of vague references. And yet we, there's a cer certainly in itself rather depressing, isn't it? It's sad to think that we behave like this. It's so much energy, so much money, so much uh, intelligence, human intelligence being used for such uh, destructive things. Very, very sad. Lawrence told me this morning that the United States expects to spend a thousand billion dollars on this war. One thousand billion dollars. A lot of money, isn't it? On just a war to send off these rockets and every time they send up a, a Patriot missile it costs a million dollars. Nobody gets that excited about the starving, starvation in Africa or anything, do they? I don't want to waste your money on a bunch of starving natives when you can send off these fantastic missiles up into the air. So our human state is our karma, isn't it? This is human karma. This is the silliness of our human state. And are are you much better than that, really? I mean, you don't have you don't have the power or the money to spend a million dollars on a missile, but you can still work from the same silly principles: selfishness, greed, jealousy, ignorance, stupidity, fear, and desire. Because it's all that's the this is all the result of that human karma. We can be shocked and go, tisk tisk, isn't that dreadful? But then really look at your own mind, yourself. And you begin to understand why they do it, why such a thing is happening. And then it is rather wonderful ability that, that as human beings we can actually conceive the, the possibilities of, of a better way of life. We? We, can, we can create ideas of how much better way to live, how things should be. We have ideals that we can create in our minds. But right here, during this retreat, uh, notice how, uh, just uh, say, that's why we reflect on the, on the fact that people uh, prepare food and offer it to us, and, and that uh, 
who are trying to bring into our consciousness to make our lives very clear what we are doing and how to use this this conventional form. Because it starts in the mind, doesn't it? And and on just just misusing things and taking for granted selfishness, uh, conceit and pride and stupidity are things that we certainly can be filled with, even uh, when all the uh, messages, all the instructions are to observe and witness. We can get carried away with our feelings about this person or that person or this monk, that nun, those lay people. Just the way that one tends to want to suppress the bad things out of the mind, isn't it? Like Saddam Hussein, let's get rid of him. How many, how, have you noticed how quick you are to, to kill off Saddam Hussein's in your mind? cruise missiles aimed at him. Soon as some, some, something frightening or unpleasant starts getting near too close, you can just zoom in with a cruise missile and annihilate it. Or blame, blaming people, blaming yourself. Now this is this is our human state. Our human state is like this. We're we're, we're so involved with with our views and opinions, our ideas, our perceptions, ourselves, our views about others, views of the world, prejudices and biases. We believe in it. We wallow in this in this realm, this ignorant realm. Sister Rojana left us down at Chitursi. Couldn't wait five years or even till the end of the retreat. <laughs> talking to her was like talking to, we couldn't get through. Always kind of whinging and complaining. Mm, blaming. Why? Why can't? Why can't you get through to somebody like that? I don't know. It absolutely baffles me sometimes. People can't. Why people can't see it? <clears throat> And yet, she's so committed to her, her own views. Couldn't hear any anything. Now it's quite all right to leave, and I encourage you all to leave. She said, as she told Ajahn Kirisaro, she's. 
you're blackmailing me with five years. <laughs> kind of thinking, what kind of logic is that? What does that come from, blackmailing five years? Because you make an aditana when you take the ten precepts, no, you just spend five years as a siladara. Fair enough, that's not blackmail. But if you want to go, before that, you can. Who's to stop you? You think we're going to hold you at gunpoint? But you have to take on the response. Don't, don't try to convince us. Don't try to convince me that you should leave and want me to go along with it. It's really not, uh, not very nice to make up a bunch of silly excuses and try to, to make me go along with it. <clears throat> what kind of honesty is that? What kind of, what do you, what do you, you know, it's really such a, uh, an ugly thing to do to somebody, to decide you're going to go, make up all kinds of phony excuses and expect us to go along with it. So if you, when you gotta go, you gotta go. Go. It's your business. Why do you have to have me to agree with it? Why do you want me to say, well, I think probably lay life would be much more suitable this time. What you need is a layman's experience. Yes, I'm completely in agreement. You've got it right. All your excuses are very well thought out. And even though you vowed five years when you took the ten precepts, for you, you're a special case. You don't have to do that. The other than nuns have to, of course. We expect them to. But not you. Oh, thank you, Ajahn Sumedho. Oh, I feel so much better now. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> we'll get one of the Anagarikas to bake you a cake. If you want to leave in a mess and, and break your vows and, and uh, leave uh, in a state where there's a lot of, of disappointment and unresolved feelings and all that, well then do it. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the karma you're making. Uh, doesn't mean that, that uh, as far as I'm concerned, that, it, that uh, there's certainly no, uh, you know, I'm not angry or, or anything like that. It's just trying to encourage skillfulness in, in, in what you do.
to try to stick with things and to develop and to develop virtuous qualities and to be patient to uh, and if you and if you do want to leave for because or just because you you want to leave and you've had enough uh, and you're not going to wait then 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 uh, at least uh, be honest about it don't expect us to go along and, and kind of be go along and agree with it you have to accept the fact that we we don't agree with it or that it's not a very skillful thing to do uh, take on that at least if you're going to do it do things then then take on that karma yourself that you're rather than then uh, lie lie to yourself things aren't always very clear as you not confusion like somebody like Roger is very confused so that uh, it's not it's not it's just a matter of of telling the truth or lying but we can uh, try at least that's what we have a reflective mind for why we can contemplate things and and really uh, uh, bring into our lives uh, trying to look at things from different aspects different ways We can feel compassion for Iraqis that are being bombed, whose country, whose, whose lives are being brutalized and disrupted by a war, by Israelis or by Saudis. We can, we can feel a, a sense of dread in the fact that when the actual land battle starts, a lot of, of young youth from here in Britain or the United States or other countries is going to get slaughtered. And we can actually, you know, conceive of those, those possibilities or we can realize now that at this time we're sitting here at Amravati but in Baghdad or in places in Iraq people are probably sitting in bunkers or in various stages of fear and anxiety and tremendous people die from heart attacks even though they they don't uh, aren't killed by flying bullets or debris some people just die from stress heart attack from fear you know, this is as a terrible thing i imagine to just be caught in a in this state of being bombed and tension and stress everything is uh, you're knowing you're like all those Iraqi women probably have lost so many so much so many relatives sons and cousins and uncles and husbands and so forth already in the Iran war and then this one they're even conscripting the Egyptians and the, the people workers in Iraq to go into the Iraqi army They're so desperate to get more into the army, kind of cannon fodder 
send them out, million man army. You can just take these these young people and put them in uniforms and send them out into the battlefields. Why are we like this? How can we, why do we do this kind of thing? Because we certainly can conceive of finer ways of behaving than that. We all know it's wrong. It's bad and evil. But it still goes on. Now, to me, the very ability of being able to conceive an idea of a better way of living. Like Hiramarvati, I can conceive of a Sangha, an Arya Sangha of noble beings. I can see if we lived in the right way, say we try, don't we? We, we try to live within the limits of the Vinaya discipline, moral precepts, renunciation, reflection on requisites, and meditation. But you see how difficult it is, isn't it? Even, even with all the very best of the conventions. How many of you suffer a lot from, from anger and jealousy and resentments and blame and feelings of worthlessness and self-disparagement and boredom and restlessness and doubt and despair. Just even even in when, when you've got everything going for you. you. See how difficult it is, our human state is, is, a, is a very difficult one to be in. Because it is this way, even when we have the best on the conventional and the conventional realm, we still get caught in in our uh, fears and desires very quickly. When we, I can't conceive of a more of a better way to live. Actually, I. Uh, as a Buddhist monk, and and uh, I've tried to imagine, trying to uh, think in my mind of a better way to spend my life, and uh, and I can't really can't think of anything in, on in the conventional realm of a better situation to be in, where we can we being an alms mendicant not having to have money, being celibate, all these things are, when you appreciate them, are really uh, quite, quite l lovely, kind of refined and, and uh, free ways of living. You're not bound by, by uh, sexual relationships or, or having your own, having to think about money and get money. That we we live uh, in a in a, with very high moral standards and with these wonderful teachings of the Buddha, people 
that surround us and to, to they come to the monasteries and to be very eager to to show respect respect us we get a lot of respect from the society don't we maybe you don't get as much respect as you'd like but you do get a lot Being respected is very nice also. And uh, living in quite pleasant environments. Chithurst here, Harnham, Devon, Switzerland, Italy, New Zealand, Australia, Thailand, all these are really nice countries. Aren't they? They're really very nice countries to live in, all of them. United States, all these places, wherever we go, they're quite uh, democratic, reasonable societies to live in. So, we even, you know, we we have opportunity to live in quite, quite good places, beautiful environments. And yet, how much misery do you create in your mind just by your thoughts, your attachments? your fears and desires. So you can be, really see that the human birth is a very difficult kind of experience to bear with in itself. The conditioning, the desire realm is so powerful in this form, isn't it? And the, the body itself is such a, such a, uh, it's such a powerfully strong desire body to have a, a male or female physical body. It's a desire body in itself, isn't it? It was born out of desire. It's got uh, the, the, sense, the sense realm is a realm of desire. What we see, and if we see something we, beautiful, we desire to have it. And it's very you can see it just uh, in, in the animal kingdom when, it's, when a cat smells fish. It desires to have it, isn't it? It goes berserk. Remember Doris on those Doris days? When people would bring all those, the fish and meat and everybody was trying to be vegetarian and Doris would go berserk with desire, absolutely crazy, for a, for a bite of fish. And we can understand it, don't we? Because we certainly have similar feelings. We might hide it and we kind of disguise it a little better than she does. <laughs> but we still understand that the, the feeling of it. When you see something you really want, how you go, no, we've got to have it. <laughs> <laughs> or you see something ugly and nasty, and you get that out of here. Oh, I can't stand it. So this, the, what we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, think, 
emotional natures, the the self view, the all of this is is so fraught with with powerful uh, with with forces that affect us, and that's why the only way out of suffering is not through control but through understanding, mindfulness. Because just trying to order it and control the, the sense realm and the body and all that, trying to kind of discipline it and order it and manipulate it, it's, we can't do it that way. No matter how hard we try, we end up failing. You know, a sense of despair in all our efforts to to try to try to make everything better or trying to get rid of the bad and try to keep the good. So the only way that we can deal with it is through this mindfulness and wisdom, sati panya. by realizing the way it is, the Dhamma. So we're realizing the way things are. The, when, we, when we reflect on Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, Vijnana, that's, those are five categories, five groups that we use for reflection, just to be able to, to observe the body, the feelings, the perceptions, volition, consciousness. Reflect on it, know it, understand it. But it's not getting rid of it, is it? It's not trying to control it and, and, uh, and manipulate those conditions, but it's through understanding that the five khandhas are anicca and anatta. Break the power, break the uh, delusive power of those five aggregates is uh, what we have, is called insight knowledge. It's breaking through the illusory quality, the way things seem according to conditioning in this sense realm. So it does take a very strong determination and patience to be able to do this because it is a very powerful realm that we're in. Planet Earth, the human bodies we have, the conditioning, our egos, our pride, conceit, and cultural conditioning, all this is very strong, very convincing. And if you have no perspective on it, if you have not really uh, been able to stand back and witness it and look at it as Anicca Dukkanatta, then then you're just going to get lost in it. You're going to be overwhelmed by it all the time. But the kind of wonderful thing about it is that we can break the spell. We can break through the illusory quality of the desire and fear. And this is a refuge in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha through that refuge, through that way of looking, observing, the state of consciousness that we're in, with the reflective capacities and the intelligence, is, is getting in touch, realization 
of ultimate intelligence, pure intelligence and knowing within the limited form that we find ourselves born into. That the only way we can possibly realize that is through mindfulness, because it's not conditioned knowledge, is it? You can memorize the whole Tripitaka and study the, the, all the Buddhist scriptures for the rest of your life and still not have one insightful moment. Have you memorized and learned all the academic Buddhism? We can see in lot in Buddhist countries, monks spend so many hours and so many years studying, and then disrobe. In Thailand, I used to get used to. How could you spend so much time studying, going to those Buddhist universities in Bangkok? Then they, then they send, go off to Indian universities to further their education and get BA, MA, PhDs. Then they disrobe, get married. How could you do that? How can you possibly do that? If you read the suttas, why can't, why doesn't that make you want to, to practice? It does me when I read the suttas. It, you know, the only thing I want to do is to practice. I don't want to keep reading suttas as an end in itself. One suttas after another. What's the point? If it doesn't inspire you, it doesn't turn you toward the practice. So this, this knowing, this this insight knowledge isn't conditioned by the scriptures or by uh, academic learning. It's, it's pure intelligence, unconditioned, that we can only uh, realize through mindfulness, not through grasping ideas, not through grasping uh, theory of Buddhism. Now we have to recognize we, with the universe for us is we're, we're very much the fruit of it, aren't we? This is this, this human form is, is, is obviously a, the result of, of this sensual realm. It is a sensual form, but it's also a form that has, that is, uh, that can reach and realize this, this intelligence, this pure in intelligence, pure intellect, pure wisdom. So we, we, from that we can assume that we're living in a, an intelligent universe. You know, that this, if, 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 we, if we add no intelligence, then, then probably we're living in just a stupid universal system that doesn't, doesn't have any intelligence in it. We wouldn't even 
have words or even concepts or, or even an aspiration toward that. But the fact that, that, that we have intelligence, we tend to use this intelligence for making those high-tech weapons and a thousand billion dollars being spent on destruction just to punish a nasty tyrant, spank him, bad boy. We spend so much money on just uh, on cars, developing automobiles, and, and now we have terrible traffic problems everywhere. Where do you go? There's traffic jams and too many cars. And then there's modern technology here, and, and let's say here in, in Britain now, imagine the, the, the future. We have something to look forward to. Uh, we hope we're having a recession now, but hopefully that will end soon so that money will start flowing more easily here in Britain. So everybody, everybody can have at least two cars. Everybody. Wouldn't that be wonderful? drive to London not in your own car you have a choice which car, the red or the white one because you wouldn't be able to move anymore because you get in your car you don't go anywhere when I was in Calcutta last year one of the Indian people that was kind of taking me around, showing me Calcutta, apologizing for the terrible traffic and the, and the uh, kind of poverty and disorder of Calcutta. I said, well, I suppose something to look forward to in the future when everybody in Calcutta, which is about like 15 million people, really be wonderful in the future when all this poverty is gone and all 15 million people have their own car. I said, I never thought of it like <laughs> Because our minds think in terms of, of what we can get for ourselves and then what the, the opportunities for material wealth and privilege are so attractive. And, and so we use our intelligence and selfish goals and aims and but this intelligence they is is that our our intelligence is affected by greed, hatred and delusion or when we start aspiring toward pure intelligence getting to that realization of of the true ultimate reality where there is the pure knowing and where the self-view is no longer the determining factor, no longer the delusion. Then there is much more. Then there is the possibility for compassion and compassionate action for, for uh, joyous living for peace.
<laughs> For example, they, those of you who say monks and nuns give up your rights over money, don't you? And to have your own cars and to to uh, be able to go wherever you want to when you feel like it, to have your own money and private funds so you can just if you get have a holiday in in Greece and you can just zoom around with doing what you want, you give up your rights over all those those kind of activities, that freedom to do what you want. You you give up the right that most people are trying to get. In the, all these third world countries, people want to be able to have that, to be able to have a car, to be able to to go, have money to go on a holiday, to be able to do what you want, to stay in one place uh, and not be able to go anywhere and uh, not have, not own things, be dependent on arms like a beggar is what they're trying to get away from. They, they don't want that. So, say the, those of us who have chosen this way of life, have chosen it because we, we're willing to relinquish those rights, those privileges that we have, that we've all experienced in our lives before we were bhikkhus um, and thiladras. And yet, when we practice in the right way, we, we find our joy not in, you know, owning our, having our own car and going where we want, but in having a mind that's liberated and freed from conceit and pride and stupidity and greed, hatred, and delusion. That's the real freedom, the liberation. Being able to have lots of money and do what you want is not liberation, is it? You might have all these rights, privileges, but be very much bound by fears and desires, and easily deluded, easily obsessed, overwhelmed, caught up into the madness of the time with all the political rights and privileges of democratic systems, we still end up as slaves to desires. So that's to contemplate this, this life, say, of the alms mendicants. The willing, if this were forced on you, then it wouldn't be fair at all. If any kind of forced to become a monk or a nun, then it wouldn't work. But because this is your choice, you've chosen to live this way, then it is uh, something that does work, something that that if you use practice in the right way, you will find great joy and peace in not having to be anybody or become anything at all. How many of you suffer, in, say, in the Sangha, because you still believe you have to become something? 
have to become enlightened, or you have to become wise, or As time goes by, you get seniority, and then then then, then other problems arise. Having because you've become somebody senior, you become senior monk, senior nun, and so that that becoming is the suffering, isn't it? If you if you become a monk, a, be, a senior monk or a senior nun, then you're going to suffer from the fact that you've become that way. But all it takes is just a moment's reflection to see, to, to be able to see the the suffering of becoming, and to let go. To let go of of anything, of and of everything. Because remember what. What our goal is, is the realization of Nibbana, not of becoming a teacher, or becoming a senior member of the Sangha, becoming uh, head nun, or becoming assistant monk, or whatever. This is, these kind of things might be conventions we use, but they're not positions to take, not goals to aim at. So that our whole uh, emphasis is on letting go and non-attachment to conditions. Those are the conditions we use also. Not to be attached to the, to the conventions doesn't mean that we, d- we don't use conventions. It means that we, we know how to use conventions in the right way so that we're not just hanging on to them and, and becoming uh, just uh, stuck in a conventional form, but allowing these conventions to be the very things that help us to realize truth and be liberated from ignorance.